If you're just waking up, Barnaby Joyce is our current Prime Minister. And he says he's lost the briefcase with the nuclear codes in it. Yeah. Mm. Um, however... If you've seen us, seen the briefcase, <laughs> perhaps know. let us know. With it's nuclear codes in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, no, mate. At least I'm not a homophobe either, mate. The silent majority. There is continuity and there is change. Continuity with change. It's all continuity with no change. Bill Shorten hasn't got the faintest clue what he's talking about. Uh, basically, be humble, work hard. I think it is coming across to the public that we are a little bit wishy-washy. I haven't spoken to him, but if I did, I would encourage her to be more upbeat. That's for sure. The people have kicked us in the shins. If we don't improve, they'll kick us a little higher. I prefer bottom. It is now time to hear from the silent majority. You know how much I love the silent majority. Hello and welcome back. It is another episode of the Silent Majority Podcast. Rob Harris is my name. Alice Workman from the internet website buzzfeed.com is with me. Hello, Alice. Hello. Welcome to the sporadic, silent, occasional majority. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's quality, not quantity, and we, we make we stress that point. So uh, we do. It's just, we're just putting another one out that's just rubbish. So. <laughs> um, is this your first you've done since you've left... Um, the, uh, the taxpayer-funded uh, public broadcast? Their ABC. It yeah. is. This is the first one. This is the first one as, as a BuzzFeed employee. There you going? So you can say Coke and <laughs> Fantails and Cheezels. We should have ads on the podcast now. It's a good idea. It's now our tenth week without rain. Doesn't look like the heat's going to let up just yet. Super juicy corn cobbets, specially grown to be super juicy. So juicy, they're simply bursting with flavour. Ah, McCain, you've done it again. And are you ready for a double D? Do you think we'll have a double D? I think it depends on the what happens in the budget. Okay. So they've got a week after the budget to decide whether or not if they're going to call one. So it all just, is it going to be, you know, as successful as Joe Hockey's first budget? Okay, so, so your view is the government will see how they're going after the budget as to whether they'll press on with one or not. They'll see if the budget passes the <clears> sniff <throat> test. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm more of the view that we it, it is wholly and truly focused around the ABCC and and if if the crossbench buckles, because I, I wouldn't be surprised if the crossbench buckles, but who we'll, we'll, we'll see. Oh, I was talking to someone the other day that thinks they definitely will. They'll definitely, okay. they'll definitely pass it through. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, Because when faced with the opportunity well, to well, and if they do, vote, in favor, vote in favour and keep your job or vote against and lose your I, exactly. job. Exactly. And this is my argument. This Not is a tough argument. decision. But who knows? Um, smarter... Some very serious conversations It is. It is. Um, I went on holidays to Bali. I love Bali. With George Christensen. Uh, George was there at the same time. Uh, Andrew Probin from the West Australian was there oh, at the same probes. time. As was Julie Bishop, or as I like to refer to her, thanks to a famous uh, caption in folk in uh, Fairfax after the spill, it was Juki Bishopston. <laughs> <laughs> so I was there with Juki, and I said, "Hey, Juki, you're looking good in those stilettos. Uh, she looks very good everywhere she is." And oh God, oh, you know, I was in Bali, sweating. Bing Tang singlet on, sweating. Do you actually wear a Bing Tang singlet? Yeah, you can't go to Bali and not wear a Bing Tang singlet. Mm. 
Did yeah. you get a Southern Cross tattoo too? Uh, no, I've already got one. <laughs> I didn't need to get an extra one. On your butt? Is that where it is? No, no it's on my uh, bicep. <laughs> what used to be known as my bicep. Speaking of biceps, yeah. have you seen those Tony's. photos of Tony's rig? Tony is one loose unit, isn't he? Loose Unit slams the red wine. Can we? Can we? I <gasps> Someone, love. So there's. So we. So we unearthed this uh, amazing video of Tony Abbott doing it karaoke. It was great. Not singing Rhinestone Cowboy no. or Suspicious Mind. Yep. Surprisingly, he was singing a John Denver song. Mm, country Road. Country Road. Country Road. So that was from Polly Petal last week. And someone called me and said, hey, there are videos of the 2014 Polly Petal when he was Prime Minister of him gyrating on the ground while a woman was on stage singing. Huge if true. We, we continue to get surprised by this, but um, we've known all along, and this this podcast has been at the forefront of Tony Abbott <laughs> karaoke commentary. And I, I think I, I, I let it, you know, when, when um, early on when we revealed at the Christmas party, it was... Um, we can't go on together We're suspicious We're suspicious And we can't build our dreams On suspicious Now, he, I, I think we've been off here for so long that... Um, Fergus Hunter, a great friend of the podcast, yes, um, he did this wonderful little um, Spotify playlist, didn't he? For uh, of Polly's songs, for Polly's, yeah. And um, I'm pretty sure Tony Abbott was on there. Tony Abbott's was very similar to mine. It's really quite oh, really? Freaky. What tracks? Um, because if you don't know, Rob is very famous for. Um, at the end of every year, he does a Christmas countdown playlist of yeah, his favourite Christmas I do. songs. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm famous for it, but I infamous perhaps. Famous. Well, um, you've just reached 10,000 followers on Twitter. You're pretty yeah, famous. Yeah, I had to get you to bloody help me in the end. Um, <laughs> Tony Abbott had Suspicious Minds. Um, this one's for Julie. Yes. He had Sloop John B, classic song. Um, he Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother by The Hollies. The road is long. Mm. It's a really hard song to sing karaoke because you've got to go from the road is long and then you've got to go with many a winding turn. So you've got to, it's like very hard to sing. Um, Word of Our Own by The Seekers, which I love. It's one of my favourite songs. There's a new world somewhere they call the promised land. Mm-hmm. Um Love of the Common People, Everly Brothers, not so sold on that. Daydream Believer, great song. Wichita Lineman by, you know, Glenn Campbell. And, and I love Glenn Campbell. And, of course, he's, he, he chose Jerusalem. Um, he chose Jerusalem, which is, Spicy. of course, the, the, the great um, hymn. Um, and Savage, Affirmation by Savage Garden, which was... Odd choice. Yes. Odd choice. Yes. Like a bit of Savage Garden. He's not even a Queenslander. Are they from Queensland, are they? You betcha. Yeah, you betcha. You, you, you betcha they are. <laughs> um, and Rob Harris, someone mm. sent me a Snapchat of you doing karaoke. Ah, yeah, I did karaoke. I must have had a few. No, I think I was sober. 
Because no, I, you were you weren't drinking. Yeah, because I, right. I had three months off the booze, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's amazing because there is this karaoke place uh, in Canberra, which is frequented by uh, people in sitting weeks. Yeah. And Peter Credlin was known to go routinely to karaoke about one in the morning, maybe. I think it was late at night um, after a long sitting day while she was working with Tony when Tony was PM and like belt out a few tunes. Wow. So maybe their office had had a karaoke policy. Yeah, well, well, they did love it. They did love it. Do you reckon um, she sung karaoke before or after he touched her on the bottom? Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Did you, did you enjoy the Nikki Sava book? I loved it. Here's a great little fact about the Nikki Sava book. Mm. At the start of the book, the first thing she talks about is a conversation that she had with Peter <laughs> Credlin and friend of the podcast, Samantha Maiden. And you. And me. Yes. Yeah, so I was I was in this conversation, not important enough to be mentioned in a book, <laughs> but... um. And because I remember the conversation, they were talking about online shopping. And then we started talking about real estate. Which is your, of course, which you, is you and Sam Maiden is favourite topic. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Dear. Well, Glenn Lazarus has been 20 again. Back on the horse. He's back on the horse. There's some sort of suggestion he might get back in a double dis- disillusion election. Where are you on that front? Well, he's putting up another football player as a Senate candidate, which is great. Mm-hmm. I think if the Glenn Lazarus team becomes a Glenn Lazarus football, ex-footballer team, yeah. then the country will be better for it. Well, I think it's time... For another reading from the Book of Lazarus. I do not want Australia's largest and most iconic agricultural company, Kidman Station, to be sold off. Yeah. Looks like we have six crossbench senators plus the government to support the abolition of the RSRT. Yeah. I have today called on the PM to abolish both the RSRT and its recent order. Here's a copy of my letter. FYI! Press release! (laughs) Turnbull government hanging truckies out to dry just to buy votes. There is so much we need to do to ensure we put the people of Australia first. I have established a petition! Please make sure you sign! my petition to save Australia's maritime and shipbuilding industry. Day three! At the Toowoomba show, I dropped in to see the rehabilitation working dogs! And that's another reading from the Book of Lazarus. There goes, you empty-headed animal food trough wiper. It says... I fart in your general direction. That's, that's basically what he's done. And that's basically what they've done to you guys. I'll tell you what, Rob. You know what needed a little bit of Glenn Lazarus injected into it? Oh, you're overnight in the Senate. Absolutely. Did, did you, with the, I mean, you uh, were wonderful. You were fantastic with that. Did, did you, was there any chance you were going to ever fall asleep? Was it hard to stay up? It was actually really easy to stay up. It was pretty entertaining. It was interesting, wasn't it? Well, there were interesting moments. I mean, Doug Cameron going on a, a tirade about Monty Python and saying, I fart in your general direction. <laughs> what about that the quote finance minister? Uh, roll the tape. Let's roll the tape. Bragging uh, to the press gallery that they're yep. conducting a filibuster. In fact, if you go to Twitter, uh, and I uh, encourage you to uh, follow Alice uh, Workman from uh, BuzzFeed, <laughs> Uh, she will, you, will, you will see that Alice Workman from BuzzFeed has tweeted that Labor senators have texted me saying they plan to filibuster in the Senate until 9am or until the Greens gag them. 
So, I mean, this is, this is a game for the Labor Party. That's the finance minister of Australia encouraging people... <laughs> No wonder you got another 100,000 Twitter followers from that. 100,000 The finance minister of Australia, (laughs) Matthias Cormann. Matthias Cormann. I was really worried about Matthias Cormann because he only went to the bathroom three... Okay, he sat there in the same chair for the whole entire debate, which started after question time at three in the afternoon and went all the way through to one o'clock the next day. What, didn't and leave? he only left the chamber three times. For how long? For about a minute, not even a minute each time, because I'd watch him and what he'd do is when they called for a division, he'd get up, walk slowly and casually out the out the door of the Senate and then just as he exited the frame, you could see him bolt to the bathroom and then bolt back. Wow. But it's not good. And so I was texting him and... He might get urotysis, uromycetosis It's really poisoning. bad for you. And I kept, being, I kept being like, you know it's not good to hold in your bladder. Like, mm. it is just not good. Maybe he's got good bladder control. Maybe they do things differently in Belgium. I don't know. They do. They I didn't do. even see him eat. The mussels from Brussels. Mm. Waffles. Mm. The waffles from Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> they like waffles in Belgium, I think don't they? they? Well, they chocolate. make them. They like chocolate. Windmills. Yeah. Is that more, more than the Netherlands? They probably have windmills there too, don't they? They do. Yeah. They have lots of jihadis. <laughs> well, they do. They're a hotbed of jihadis. I mean, they are. I mean, that's quite clear. It's not a tourist attraction, though, is it, to be fair? <laughs> but, yeah, so the Senate, the Senate sleepover was... Um, Dull at times, but, you know, there was uh, the filibustering um, occasionally got a bit graphic. The pants. I do. I did love the <laughs> debate about Richard Dinatali, friend of the podcast. What a pair of pants. Oh, Rob, you have to listen to this. Uh, someone sent me a remix of Stephen Conroy's <laughs> comments on the pants. Roll the tape. What a pair of pants they were. What a pair of pants they were. Fancy pants. What a pair of pants they were. Shall I wear socks in the photo shoot or not? Fancy pants. Shall I wear socks in the photo shoot or not? Shall I wear socks in the photo shoot or not? They're a tough calls to make. What a pair of pants! That should become a dance floor anthem. And yeah, it wasn't. I, I think the Tim Watts and Sam Dastiari, friends of the podcast, um, did a DJ did night a DJ the other week, night. and they played that, didn't they? Or they certainly threatened to. I don't know if they actually played it. I, I know you were quite critical of Sam Dastiari's playlist, but I, I thought it was quite good. Not. It was Mark De Stefano, yeah. and then News dot com and Daily Mail wrote up this like Labor MPs criticised on Twitter for, and I was like, no, it was one person named Mark De Stefano. <laughs> Who they called a Twitter user. I, we are quite, we're quite privileged to sit in the press gallery, and the press gallery has, uh, you know, hundred years of tradition. Um, some giants of Australian journalism have graced the press gallery over the over the years, and I find, you know, I find it a great privilege to work here. You know, we write about big stories, but uh, yeah, some of the stories that have taken my fancy lately have included. Uh, Fairfax's wonderful effort, um, stellar effort of journalism, which involves a teenage boy changing Wikipedia to install himself as the 30th Prime Minister of Australia. About 400 words on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, on the Fairfax website. Great effort, guys. Really good good stuff. Um, really important. When did this podcast work. become a roast? And, and also, yeah, the Daily Mail and News.com. For your efforts writing up 
Tim Watts's <laughs> DJ party where about I don't know, fifty people went, maybe a few, maybe some more. In Footscray, I mean, it was sold out, Rob. It was come sold out. on, <laughs> come on, what is going on? Like, what? Look, I. So I said to Sam Dastyari, I've written some. You should create a fake Twitter feud with Mark just to stir up. Oh my just god! Just to stir up the Daily I've Mail. I've written some shit in my time, <laughs> right? I I wrote about Darren Chester looking like George Clooney. Woo! And you know, it was. And you a know, bit he now rep- when I call him George on Twitter, he now yeah, replies. It was a bit of fun, but. Come on, Wikipedia! <laughs> what the hell? Um, oh, I mean, <laughs> I, I look. We all do it. We all write a bit of rubbish from time to time, but God Almighty, that's up there with Glenn Stell's graphic description of his colonoscopy, oh. which he gave in the Senate sleepover. God, did he, was he lubed up when he had it, or of a colonoscopy? Because I've actually had one. And I was wide awake. So I really get this. How brave is that? Wide awake. Because I didn't want to wake up with them doctors giving me a surprise. I wanted to hear what they were saying. This guest this week, I don't know how we've done it. (laughs) I don't know why we've done it. But... (laughs) You, you, our guest this week has featured on the podcast before. He was he infamously said the most dangerous place in Canberra is between Tony Abbott and a karaoke he did. machine. He did, and and we are breaking we are breaking with a, a a rule that we have current MPs on to to bring in to bring in someone who was unceremoniously dumped from politics quite a long time ago, someone who has divided political views. Uh, political uh, supporters from throughout the country, but he's just an entertainer. Uh, I, I'm very fond of him, and I'm really, really glad he's made the time to come into the Silent Majority podcast bunker. Ross Cameron, and featuring special guest, former New South Wales Premier... Christina Keneally. Mrs Keneally, do you have a tweet for us? I do. Alice Workman has tweeted, she's tweeted my quote, why don't you tell the viewer what what they're going to be watching? And she says, come on, Kay Keneally, there's two of us watching, she and James O'Doherty. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. You've doubled our audience right there. Thanks for the encouragement. Really appreciate it. Well, look, someone we talk about on the podcast just about every week. Uh, he's he's often uh, he, he appears on the on the show only through his exploits on Sky, but we've actually managed to get him in the silent majority bunker. Ross Cameron, welcome, Ross. It's a great pleasure to be here. I'm delighted. And I would have thought you'd be drawn to people who talk about the silent majority because you were a silent majority type MP, weren't you? Amen, brother. Yeah, they they, they are my kind of people, <laughs> the silent ones. Uh, no, the silent majority is such a powerful, simple idea yeah. you know, that most people are just too busy getting on with their lives to stop and really spend too much time thinking about politics. And when they do, they overwhelmingly form the view that it wasn't a productive experience, you see. <laughs> so they just keep right on going. Uh, they are my kind of Australians, Parramatta yeah. people. Yeah. Well, we are lucky that 
they've let you in the building because anyone who's been following the news would know that that perhaps you are one of the so-called seven thirty-three. Yeah, yeah, like the Anandamaga, you know, the Bali Nine, yeah, whatever. They'll I be, mean, they'll be uh, on the M1. There'll be banners free of the seven thirty-three. <laughs> that's what surely. we want. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, every major expressway in Australia, spontaneous public eruption of feeling. <laughs> Free the 7.33. How did they let you into the building today? Was it hard getting through security? Came in through the basement, for sure. (laughs) Um, You know, told them I'd lost my pass, uh, which would happen to be true, uh, as I do every time I come to Canberra. And so then they had to make me another one. I just sort of snuck in. It reminded me a bit of when I first arrived in Parliament, because this is such a monolithic sort of North Korean-style building that it takes several months to actually orient yourself without yeah. a compass or no a doubt. or a sherpa. So, I never used to wear my green pin uh, around the building because I was so embarrassed going up to the security guards and asking them where I was. But know, they've so. got pictures of of all the MPs sitting there. Well, they'd know who you were, wouldn't they? Can I tell you, in the first three months, you could pretty much get by without t- you know without without too much as an anonymous person yeah, without right. much difficulty. Yeah. Do you miss miss being here in this building? Well, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. We, we've got uh, a, a, stop. a We've got a former premier just arrived. Goodness <laughs> me. Is this? It's Christina Keneally. reunion of Keneally and Cameron. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Have how, a chair. How, how dare you, Ross Cameron? You, you're cheating on me. You're coming in here. You're doing this podcast with our, like, our cult fans. And... Our, the, the, they were the president of our fan club. And, and you come in here like you get all the glory. Hashtag well, Ken Kim. Can, hashtag Ken Kim. Well, oh my goodness. The truth is, if you have a professional relationship with Christina Keneally, mm-hmm. she basically expects that you have therefore assigned and subcontracted every decision in your life to the former Premier of New South Wales. Okay. Oh, no, no. Morris Yem is not that important. The view <laughs> is that if you are going to go to the local cafe, you should receive consent of the relevant authority, who is the former Premier of New South Wales. But it is also, I'm sorry to have made this uh, rash decision without uh, consultation and consent i promise not to do it again there you go that order is restored yes you did and i'll have to turn your microphone on rob because it's not on <laughs> freedom of speech there that's what go. it's all about there welcome to the program rob <laughs> do, you, do you miss each other do you still see enough I of do. each other not enough well i i, I watch i watch ross every monday night on pm live every monday night no i don't i lie come on yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? There was such great TV on Monday night. <laughs> my favourite moment. Can I tell you about my favourite Ross yeah, moment? Yeah, of course. And, oh, uh, <sighs> is, is it just one moment? Because with well, Ross, they usually I've got like, a list. No, no, my point is there's usually like a favourite Ross, 20 moments. Yeah, like yeah, they, yeah. Like, no, one moment stretches into 20. No, no, I agree. Oh, okay. And and perhaps the, the most famous one was the day Malcolm Fraser died, Ross. And you went on TV saying, you know, I, I don't want to rub salt into the wounds of people who are upset, but I cannot mourn this life. Um, did, you, did you regret saying that at the time, or were you quite happy to just uh, put out your opinions? Oh, well, look, you know, I think that well, there is an argument about the timing yep. of these things. Um, certainly one must be sensitive uh, to the family who yep. are going to be bereaved. Uh, I suspect uh, that on the day that Ross Cameron shuffles off this mortal coil, um, others will follow the precedent which I have set in that regard and give a frank and fearless assessment of my 
contribution, which we'll conclude with, I cannot mourn this life. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure people do that now, though. Like, do they? Are they waiting for you to die? They or can't they wait. There's know? an impatience about it, which is just unseemly. That is but, so. That is so awful. I can't believe I just even said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, I mean, was there is there any other day that you just thought, oh, I don't want to stick my head up today because yeah. you do keep coming back. Yes. Don't you? Every, and, and I totally admire that about Can you. I just tell you, Rob, that, uh, you know, I uh, take, actually take no pleasure in being the bad guy. Yeah. Every time I go to open my mouth, uh, as I did when I became one of the, you know, Anandamaga 733, uh, Bali 9, uh, whatever, uh, I'm thinking, I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish somebody else would say this. But somebody else has got a rostered day off. And so I'm going to have to say it. And I sort of see that as the deal, that if the, mach- if the system is going to give you the freedom to have your own opinion, and if someone is going to be foolish enough to give you a microphone, well, you might as well exercise your democratic yeah, rights. Exactly. You know? Well, I think on the, the day of the, the first attempted spill mm. on Tony Abbott, we saw your heartbreak on television. Yes, yes. Well, that was a case of me. I I did not set out uh, to have a you know midlife crisis on national television. <laughs> I prefer to do it in private, you know. But as it happened, the moment you know the moment arrives, and those moments arrive in your life where you're faced with a choice, and you're either going to tell people what you actually think. I rang a very, very senior figure in the Liberal Party before going on. And I said, look, I don't think I can get through... Because the Sky was planning, I think, like three or four hours of television. It was like the moment was going down. No, in fact, you and I were called in early that day, like that's midday. Right. That's we were exactly called in right. at midday for yes. a show that starts at four. That's right. <laughs> so that Keneally could... and Cameron brought forward by about five hours. Mm. And I said to... Uh, you know, this senior figure in the Liberal Party, I said, look, I don't think I can get through four hours with, without really... Um, and he said, just call in sick. He said, this is the day to call in sick. Uh, there is no, Ross, we cannot take this risk. Um, we, we can't ask you to just lie to people, but just call in sick. And I just thought to myself, well, if you're going to call in sick, you really ought to resign. Yeah. You know, when you come to the big moment, if your response to the big moment is... Uh, I've I've got a hair appointment, um, or like you know Tanya Plibersek uh, on refugees. I've got an important meeting at a uh, cafe in Monaco, which sells a really really good you know skim flat white. Um, then you might as well just hand in your commission. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's what happened. Well, can I can I pay you a compliment though? And I know I probably don't do that enough, Ross. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, okay. keep going. This I hope this is the first of many. <laughs> uh, but. I sat next to you on that day and yeah, I do remember the decisions you were making and, and you're so spot on though. Uh, there just comes a point in your life where you have to just speak your mind and you do that most of the time. I think all of us who engaged in commentary do that most of the time, but the reality is we're often torn between what is perhaps politically uh, convenient for people we're friends with or what is you know honest to our audience and and that day you chose to be um, 
uh, honest to your audience, but I believe you also chose to be politically helpful to people you're friends with because in the end, you were right. And I don't say that out of any partisan, you know, out to get Tony Abbott. I mean, you know, I wish Tony Abbott was still there, um, but <laughs> not for the same reasons. <laughs> Tony Abbott probably wishes he was still there. But um, you were right. And, I, and I, I remember at the time thinking, you know, Ross is going to be proven correct on this, but it's going to really bloody him along the way. Um, and in that case, I think, you know, you often talk about being a great Australian I, and people who are. I think in that day you were a great Australian, Ross. <sighs> Wow. Wow. I'm sort the of chemistry start, is I, I'm getting misty eyed here. <laughs> Why did they cancel um, this show again? I don't know, but it's here. We, we're reliving it now. It's the reunion special. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. if we're going to be, you know, engaged in an exchange of compliments. Um, <laughs> Alice looks fetching today. <laughs> no. You know, I will say that Because I don't I, know where this is going, Alice. I'm just going to throw you in. No, oh, well, I'm happy to be talked out of it. I can return to my usual, you know, curmudgeonly no, self. Please, pay, pay a compliment. Oh, well, I can tell you all the things I like about Christina Keneally. Um, this will be short. Well, you know, Christina um, is... The truth is the things that are most likeable about her... Uh, originate from the fact that she's not really a creature of the Australian Labor Party. Oh. You know? <laughs> See, um, this is it. Every compliment starts with a total whack. Oh, you know, that, mo that, that, that Keneally, movement she's given her life Christina, to. Christina, I'll tell you of what I think about Chris. Christina Keneally yeah. is essentially the all-American girl who was adopted as a sort of a, a beloved daughter of Australia for a number of reasons, but because I am the daughter Christina of Australia, Keneally was sort of <laughs> is the most authentic Christina Keneally is wearing the varsity basketball uh, blazer, walking around the sort of corridors of some school in Dayton, Ohio, with about you know two-thirds of the male population of the school just in absolute thrall, going speechless and blubbering when they enter the same corridor. Uh, as I of wish course, I knew this girl back in the day. Uh, <laughs> she would have had a good And then, of course, time. her other big thing, the other big thing about Christina that has to be understood, uh, mm. was she got sucked into the leadership of oh. the youth wing oh, of right. sort of university Catholics, okay? Mm -hmm. And they immediately recognised that this sort of pretty smart, you know, five foot ten and a half glamazon was a very marketable commodity for the Catholic Church in the United States, right? Mm. So she just catapulted every a bit like Julie Bishop, everything she joined she became the president of, right? <laughs> and then she went to World Youth Day as kind of a representative of the United of of wholesome, magnificent American Catholic youth, where I, she I met uh, an Australian bloke. Okay, and this was an absolutely critical moment in the Keneally story. And so the bloke she met, uh, you know, came from one of Australia's significant families. The Keneallys are forced to be reckoned with. And um, they, she decided, uh, as is nearly always the case in these matters, she decides. I mean, the idea that, that females don't exercise 50% of the power on this planet yeah. is just so stupid. She decided that he would miss uh, the train uh, so on the way back to the compound, 
So they would this be required Poland, yes. uh, to walk home together from World Youth Day. Uh, and that was the beginning of Christina Keneally's assault and takeover of the New <laughs> South Wales Labor Party. It is. I have been manip- manipulating males in the Labor Party ever since. That's exactly right. You, is that you, an accurate, this is your life? That's pretty accurate, yeah. How do you know mm, it that is. Stuff, it Ross? is well. You're just an interested person, aren't you? He is. He yes. doesn't forget a thing. Don't tell Ross Cameron anything you don't want repeated on this podcast or on national television. Well, the other great thing about Christina about Keneally you is or... her father, who I'd be interested to know. I reckon there's a decent chance he's going to be voting for Donald Trump. Who is your father going to be voting for? Oh, you know, my parents are a little. Um, they're a little. They're not really Trump fans. No, 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 no. no. Okay. And, and I'm not sure. I think my father um, is. He's a hardcore right wing conservative. Well, you know, my father's more almost a libertarian. Yeah. You know, I think over here he'd be getting behind David Lionel if yeah. he were here. Uh, but um, you know, a quote from my father, direct quote: uh, "It's none of the government's goddamn business how many goddamn guns I own." So, um, you know. Uh, my kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Ross and I get along. Do you have any guns, Ross? <laughs> I, look, to be honest with you, I fired a three A three as part of my training in the cadet corps at uh, Knox Grammar School. But I did actually get uh, bored by the cadets uh, by marching in formation. Um, no disrespect. You're not that kind no of guy. No disrespect to the cadets. You know, Tony Abbott, for example, loves karaoke. Tony Abbott loves the Seekers. Uh, Tony Abbott, if you put Tony Abbott in front of a karaoke machine uh, and Rhinestone Cowboy, it will take a whole division of the Australian Army to hold him you back. Know, it, I, now, I Peter Credlin sees this situation because the problem is Tony he can't sing to save himself. Now, so Credlin sees this coming and she says, Tony, no, no, no. Like a I have never, I am actually, it may surprise you, uh, that the big heroes of my teenage years were uh, Jesus of Nazareth, M.K. Gandhi, Francis of Assisi, and uh, Martin Luther King. And I was deeply influenced by the kind of pacifist or what Gandhi called satyagraha, non-violent resistance. Um, you know, Francis of Assisi, uh, the sort of uh, brother-son, sister moon, the idea that violence is just so transactionally expensive that we must do everything in our power to find an alternative. Politics, Ross, do, do, you, do you regret your, that, that you didn't spend as much time as perhaps you, you would have liked here? Did, did, was it... Did it come to an end too quickly? Do you miss it? Look, I went into politics. Um, it's interesting the question: what what is the moment when you actually form the internal view, the personal view that you've got an, a contribution to make in public life? Uh, that happened for Christina Keneally at about the age of four or five. Uh, for <laughs> me, uh, it didn't happen until I was in my uh, mid twenties. Really. That late? Why? Well, look, I always thought, I don't get me wrong, the idea had turned over in my brain a bit. Um, but it, the first point was when I was working as a volunteer on the campaign of a state member who was about to win a blue ribbon seat. And my job was to put out the chairs and put stuff the flies in people's letterboxes in the neighbourhood around saying, come and meet the new local candidate for the seat of Davidson in, in Sydney. 
And I remember sitting down with the guy who was about to win the seat. It was a blue ribbon liberal seat. And uh, I'd stacked out the chairs and we met in the anteroom. And I said, well, you know, what are you going to say? And uh, he said, uh, well, um, you know, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I can barely even remember what he was going to say. And I can't remember what he said. And I remember sitting there watching this guy walk out in front of a group and give what I thought was about a four and a half out of ten for an audience that was desperate to like him. And I thought, well, geez, if that's the standard, you know, <laughs> even I could do this. Right? Uh, then, so, so basically, mediocre liberal candidate. Yeah, that was number one. You. That was number okay, one. Yeah. Number one. Well, then okay. number two was by the end of the, uh, I was an accidental political candidate. My brother, Jock, was actually the one slotted of the family, uh, not quite the Bush family, you know, but the Cameron family. Uh, Jock, the older brother, was going to run for the seat of Northcott when Bruce Baird reti retired. Right. And um, I was meant to be the Graham Richardson numbers man, you know, going around the branches and setting out the chairs and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then... My brother, who is the sincere Christian among the Cameron brothers, um, he came back to me three weeks into this operation when it was actually looking pretty good. The opponent was Barry O'Farrell. I was going to say, there's a little <laughs> thing Ross and I share. Mm. Go and tell your story. Well, anyway, I was then a 27, six-year-old unknown sort of solicitor. My brother was pretty well unknown, but I thought he would have made a good member of parliament and basically still do. Um, and then he came to me midway through and said, I have had a revelation uh, that the wrong brother is running and we need to do a switcheroo. So let's just keep all the campaign material and just swap your photo for mine. <clears throat> a little bit like uh, Mark Ellis sending his captain of the Wallabies, sending his twin brother out to do the press conference in France because he was too buggered after the game and they all believed it. Um, but anyway, that's, uh, but, but when I finally, that was for the state seat. Barry O'Farrell beat me 62 to 60. Which is a much closer margin by the one, than the one he beat me by. So, <laughs> yeah, hey, well yeah, done. Yeah. Well, thank you. So we both had a race against Barry. <laughs> that's and, right. And you, know, you, you, neither of us came out well, but you came out better You, I was, I, a, I was a clean skin and you were uh, a clean skin, but you were trying to sort of, you know, Give, give your side a go. How long had the had Labor been in government when you were made Premier? When I was made Premier, uh, right. it would have been about 14 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I must admit, that was my first mm. contact with my first impressions of Christina were formed, as for most Australians, during that campaign. Where, yeah, well, we met in, uh, back in 2003, I remember meeting you. Oh, good. Continue, please. At a, uh, C, at a um, South Sydney Rabbitohs yes. function. Oh, right. And uh, I don't know if I should tell this story. No, it's tell it, please. Uh, well, it's a funny one. Does it embarrass you or me? You. Well, don't tell it then. That's <laughs> <laughs> the obvious answer. <laughs> go ahead if you wish. I'll give you the Rabbitohs story if you want. But you go first. I'm happy to take my medicine. Oh, no, no. It's a, well, okay. So we're sitting there and there's a conversation. I don't know if you remember this conversation. You, me, and a um, Andrew Ferguson from the CFMEU. Yes. 
And the three of us are having this conversation. It's one of those yes. things where I'm thinking, why isn't this conversation ending? I need to go. I need to get, you know, this is, these people are fine and lovely to talk to, whatever, but it, like, I need to get home. So I was trying to figure out how to get out of it. And finally, Ross bids us farewell and leaves. And then Andrew turns to me and says, all right, I'll see you. I said, what? what, what? He goes, I just was waiting until he left. <laughs> I, was like, I said, oh, why? Sorry, goes, we shouldn't laugh. I think he thought maybe Ross was going to ask me out or something. <laughs> so well, look. I, thought, well, I thought, well, first of all, uh, Fergo, thanks. I reckon I could have handled it myself. Uh, B, uh, apparently chivalry's not dead, even in the CFMEU. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. C, apparently I need protection. Yes. The CFMEU needs yes. to provide me protection from Ross Cameron. Well, wow. the, you should tell Macalia Cash that story. That's she might right. ease up. Well, mm. she listen, she I'm, sure she, I'm sure she listens to the podcast. I do, Ross, your embarrassments have lived out. I mean, you've been unfortunate because a lot of people fuck up in life and a lot of people make stupid mistakes every day. Yeah. But your mistakes have been played out very publicly, yes. haven't they? Yes. How, how, have you coped with that? <laughs> yes. how have you coped with that? Because, as I said earlier, you keep sticking your head up. Yes. Look, um, I think there is a... Uh, I was going to say... I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a certain view out there that if you commit a certain range of sins, you know, that ought to effectively disqualify you from further participation in the game. Yeah. Um, the problems with that are, number one, um, you've still got to breathe oxygen, you know, for the next 40 or 50 years, right? You've just got to turn up to something. Right, you could turn up to an outhouse and cry for eight hours a day if you, you know, if you were so inclined. So you've got the practical problem that you've got to keep going. So then I think if you've got to keep going, there's a very powerful argument to say you might as well do something useful. But more, even at a more self-centered level, you might as well enjoy yourself. And you know, when Donald Trump was asked. Um, by, uh, I think it was Walter Cronkite. No, it wasn't. Uh, it was by, uh, it'll come to me in just a second, um, Bill O'Reilly. Right. By Bill O'Reilly, in the lead up to one of the early primaries that he was participating in, you know, 20 years ago, why are you interested in politics? And O'Reilly said to him, you've got plenty of money, you know, you've got plenty of other options in your life. What are you doing? In this race, why are you here? And he said, "Bill, because I enjoy it, mm. and because he speaks for the silent majority." Amen, sister. Mm. So, Ross, I've got to ask: the seven thirty-three. Yes. For people that that may not be aware, you went on seven thirty and and you made some comments about the factions within the Liberal Party, yes. which our esteemed Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull doesn't believe exists. Yeah. What's what's the fallout? What's the ramifications? Because you're you're here to you're here to go to a, a twenty years of Howard dinner. Yes. Are you are you allowed in to the dinner? Well, we shall see. Um, <laughs> I figured I should either be allowed in or I should at least get a refund. I mean, they've accepted <laughs> they've accepted my money, right? I mean, uh, I should take a commercial way? approach to these <laughs> things. Um, I am absolutely delighted, if I may say, like, uh, you know, Custer's last stand at Rourke's Drift. I felt I was standing there and I could feel the thundering hooves of the Zulu surrounding and approaching. Uh, and then the cavalry arrived 
to 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 protect the doughty 733 and the cavalry uh, came in the form i must acknowledge you know quite a lot of people i went on the 730 report with a couple of colleagues charlie lynn Juris Laucas, who is a barrister in the party, just a lay member who had a concern, shared a view. Three blokes who didn't know any better, who just said, look, we can't keep copying this. And I don't, and it was to do with the way in which the Liberal Party chooses its pre-selection candidates and the fact that, um, you know, even now, without wanting to rub the bruise, um, you know, McKellar is going to be a big focus, Bronwyn Bishop's seat. Uh, there will be out of the 110,000 Australians who will be entitled to vote in the seat of McKellar, uh, the ones who will choose the Liberal candidate, we know that whoever wins the Liberal nomination is going to struggle to lose McKellar, right? We haven't lost it before. Mm. It could be lost to a really gifted independent. But anyway, um, you can see the former Premier is obviously getting called to her next, uh, you know... I am going to have to say goodbye to you because yeah, I just realised I have left another Liberal hanging. Oh. Who is it? It's my Name day him. to go. Name him. Name him. Before you go... Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I really want to name him, but um, his name is Steve Chobo. But anyway... <laughs> Very quickly. Oh, terrific. How has your accent evolved over the last couple of years? Because since you've no started idea. on Sky, I think it's vowels? become... Flat vowels? Just a bit more Australian. Oh, my children tell me there's my TV voice and the voice I use at home. So you, oh. can, you can get them on the podcast. They'll, they'll <laughs> deconstruct it for you. They don't like the TV voice, they say. Right, okay. So I, I don't know. Christina I, I, Kennelly. I, I'm just here to pay homage to a great Australian, <laughs> a, a champion lovely. of democracy, a freedom fighter, yes. a, a man who, who stands up for what he believes in uh, and a really uh, fantastic co-host. Thank you so much. And uh, enjoy your dinner. Thank you. Um, may it be 20 years before you guys are back <laughs> in government. <laughs> I just hope we do something with the short time we're in there. You know? <laughs> All right. Christina Kennelly, thank you very much. I am nobody's puppet. I am nobody's protege. I am nobody's girl. Your tweets. Yes. You quite often on a Saturday night, yes. around about 10 o'clock, yes. get onto something like Israel. Yes. I've got a few here. Okay. Where you talked yeah. about uh, the Arab world and, and the Israelis. Um, and a, a great tweet on August the 1st at 10.30, the Jews are the magic in this operation. And then you went on to, to, to talk about the history of Israel and how you deeply regret that we never offered Tasmania up as a Jewish homeland. Now, yes. I know that you're a man of sincerity and you obviously believe these things. Yes. But do you sit back there with a cup of glass of red and thought, I'm just going to throw a few truth bombs out? Is Can that I, how you do it? Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, the truth is that I on spend... A do you do it on the phone, on the on the computer? Uh, I'm usually um, stretched out on a very, you know, nice, capacious leather couch. Um. Or alternatively, I'm sitting on the balcony if there's a nice sort of easterly sea breeze blowing. And the reality, the reality is, Rob, that I spend most of my time restraining myself from doing it, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
every now and again, when I really get on a roll, I get a little text from my friend Paul Murray saying, are you okay, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which basically means put your foot on the brake uh, from a friend who loves you and cares about you. <laughs> uh, but look, I believe that I'm a great, a genuine believer. Okay, I'm not just saying this for my circumstances today. Okay, I'm a genuine believer in the value of sincerely held, diverse opinion. Yeah. And I just believe that nobody ever get, you know, if someone is bringing to the table a genuinely held view, then I want to hear it. And I think it's in our interests to hear it. And the fact that it may be somewhat eccentric, I mean, what history tells us uh, again and again and again is that very often the herd gets it wrong. And it is the dissident, it is the outsider uh, it is the marginalised uh, who actually carries uh, the key to open the door that gets you through the narrow pass of the Mopoli. And some problems that are hard... I mean, we have not solved. As if the genius of running the operation right now can say to you and me, oh, at least we've got the Middle East under control. You know? <laughs> we got that sorted, didn't we? We might have been working on it for 50 years. <laughs> have we screwed up anything worse? You know, maybe... Remote Aboriginal housing is probably, you know, a good comparator to our success. Yep. So I just well, say, it yeah. It brings me it... to another tweet. And um, that, that the previous one was at, uh, at 10.30. It went on to 11.51. Okay, go. Where you tweeted, may we imagine going home one night, stopping a neighbour on the path. Is it true? Yes, they've achieved peace in the Middle East. So yeah. that's obviously what you sit at home on a Saturday night and, and talk about, think about? Yes. Well, as discussed, I mean, as a boy... Growing up, you know, when you have that first sort of flush of realisation uh, that the guys and girls running the joint are not necessarily geniuses, you know, uh, that they don't always get it right. Yeah. And I remember feeling a sense of, I, I always felt a kind of connection with the Jews um, just because I thought their story was so extraordinary. And the fact that they had survived uh, for so long intact, uh, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, go all the way back to Mordecai, you've got a situation uh, where the sort of, uh, you know, Babylonian king issues the, fir the first of the edicts, uh, exterminate the Jews. And so you had across the kingdom of uh, Xerxes a scaffold built in every major village and city with the name Mordecai carved into the top because one Jew refused to bow down before the crown prince of the empire because he said, look, I can really only bow down before God. And I thought that was an unbelievably heroic thing to do. Uh, and then, of course, the Jews gave us uh, in, in, in Vashti, who was the, uh, the, the, the king's uh, wife, the world's first feminist, in effect, uh, and then uh, in Esther, you know, I think um, one of the great female heroines of human history, who as a 15-year-old basically saved the Jewish race. And her story is, uh, is, is celebrated throughout every year in the Jewish calendar during the Feast of Purim. But the fact is, they're still going. And here we go talking about Einstein. Uh, you have... 
you know, surprise, surprise, uh, you know, a, a, a patent clerk uh, in Switzerland uh, who has been there for like, you know, five years, who publishes in one year, 1905, four separate papers, each one of which is capable of winning the Nobel Prize. And then a hundred years later, we are all feeling the echo of his magnificence. Now, that doesn't happen by accident. That ha happens. Jews have won. Jews represent less than two-tenths of one percent of the world's population. Okay? They have won 30 percent of the Nobel Prizes yep. for physics. Yep. 30 percent. And so, you know, what do the geniuses in the ALP do at their national conference? <laughs> Let's attack the Jews. Yeah, that's a smart idea. Yeah, yeah, get on that. Yeah. <sighs> Local pre-selectors overwhelmingly dumped Dr Jensen as the Liberal candidate for Tangney at a meeting yesterday, voting instead for the party's former WA director, Ben Morton. That move comes just days after extracts of an unpublished book he wrote containing a graphic sex scene were leaked to the media. Although she accepted the situation with regard to his wife, she was totally unaware of Rono's other dalliances, which continued despite everything. Given her disposition, this was just as well for Rono. Rono personally believed that men of destiny and intelligence had far higher sex drives than most mere mortals. Didn't survival of the fittest necessitate that the fittest should have more offspring to improve the human race. Now, uh, your Wikipedia page, which is fascinating for anyone who wants to read it. I um, don't encourage it. I never <laughs> read it myself. I only it, get into the first few sentences. It, it, it mentions that uh, during your eight-year-old stint in, in Parliament that yes. you ran somewhat of a campaign against the contemporary art collection. Yes. Here. Why? Well... For two reasons. I mean, uh, Peggy Noonan has just written this magnificent uh, column for the New York Times where she talks about the... Uh, she explains Donald Trump by reference to the protected... Uh, the rise of the unprotected outsiders the against the protected insiders who make the policy. So the ones who make the policy look after themselves and then the ones who have to live with the policy and all of its terrible consequences, the outsiders, and they're finally ganging up. Now, when you arrive in Parliament House, the more junior you are, uh, the more crap is the selection of art you get. <laughs> okay? If you, what you find is that when, they, when the designers of this parliament decided it was a modern building, therefore it, the architect said, well, therefore it has to have a contemporary art collection. So they were offended by the idea that there was any recognisable object on any piece of art hanging in the halls of this joint. And I just felt as a member for Parramatta bringing my constituents into the place and walking them into their nation's capital and it's sort of the people's palace and the per first thing they see is kind of a piece of driftwood and a rusting tin can, <laughs> you know, hanging in some bloody, you know, installation uh, that, that they are meant to resonate, you know, with my mate who's running a car yard on Parramatta Road, yeah. come down to see his local member. Yeah. And he's, they're basically all thinking, well, if this is what you guys think is great art, 
Of course, when you walk into the Prime Minister's office, he will have a watercolour by Winston Churchill. You know, he will then have, you know, um, look, you know, the great Australian artists. Um, and I just felt uh, that was unfair. And I didn't think it was in the interests of the Parliament to communicate to the, you know, million-odd visitors who rock up each year that we are so out of touch uh, that we regard, you know, sort of uh, driftwood and fish skeletons and, you know, just massive bits of canvas with a grey hue uh, as, you know, the high watermark of artistic expression. Before we let you go, Ross... Yes. Turnbull government, how's he going? Will he last? Was Tony Abbott coming back? What's your prediction? Is the boat going to float? Is the dog going to hunt? Is there <laughs> air left in the balloon? Alice, it's a good question. Uh, the beautifully named Alice Workman. Uh, I wish there was a bit more workman in, the, uh, in, in this uh, current government. There is a fair bit of uh, reflection. There is a fair bit of methodical... There is a fair bit of carefully and unhurriedly evaluating all the options. Um, look, in the end, um, a government's got to produce results. This government still has the opportunity to do so. Uh, if we lose, it would be entirely our fault. Uh, seldom in the history of Australian democracy has a government faced a less inspiring leader of the opposition. Uh, seldom has a political party gone to an election with less to offer than the Australian Labor Party. Uh, and yet, I must admit that it is looking like a contest. <laughs> uh, now, what is about to happen, I can tell the silent majority, is that the government is about to recover its mojo. They are going to release a very, very sensible and much-needed tax reform package as part of a wider program to stimulate the economy, which is going to be based not on the government doing more, rowing harder, spending more and taxing more, but it's going to be based on the power in the ordinary Australian citizen who wants the best for him or herself and her family and who's prepared to work hard if there is a just opportunity for reward for effort. And that's what this Liberal government is going to do. It's going to recover its philosophical core. It's going to provide some very practical but inspirational leadership that's going to warm the hearts of the Australians who are lifting, who are driving their cars to work each day, sitting in you know, line, hour after hour of traffic because the political class has failed to provide mobility. You know, they're going to solve the practical problems. We are not going to endlessly repeat, hold hands, sing kumbaya, you know, uh, republic, gay marriage, stop the sea levels from rising, worry all oh, the problems of transsexual bullying. We're actually going to, we're going to direct our minds to the concerns of the silent majority. That's what's about to happen. I'm a prophet on behalf of that silent majority, and you can take my word for it. And is your colleague Stan Grant maybe going to become a celebrity candidate in the Liberal Party? Well, more we want as much possible influence for Sky News as possible. Uh, <laughs> it is, let's be honest, the great Australian TV network. Um, look, I say let 100 flowers bloom. Stan can have a crack. He's having a moment in the sun at the, you know, right now. I want... Uh, you know, if we're asking the serious... No, we're not going to ask the serious question about Indigenous policy, but I will say that uh, Stan has got a great smile. He delivers a great speech. Um, you know, I would like... I'd be very happy to see him in a state or federal parliament. 
Well, Ross Cameron, thank you so much for coming on The Silent Majority and good luck getting into your Howard anniversary dinner tonight. Thanks so much. I'm going to put the disguise on right now. <laughs> Just the two of us. Oh, that was fun. That was hilarious. <laughs> and then, and I'll put up these photos. He posed for a series of, now that I've looked at them, really awkward photos <laughs> with me, where I'm wearing a Ross Cameron hat, which was in the News Corp offices. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, where, where is this days? podcast going, Alice? I mean, really. <laughs> what is happening? And all those people out there who've been going, what are you doing in your podcast? And we've just produced one. And you're like, why did you do it in your podcast? <laughs> Uh, but look, we had fun, and if we're having fun, that's the most important thing. Hey, I'm going overseas. I'm going to miss the budget, but I think uh, uh, another friend of the podcast, uh, we won't reveal who it is yet. Well, thank you for having us back in your podcast land. Yes, wherever you're listening to us, be it on. Oh, you know what I found out the other day? What? So, um, government people can't download us on their phones because it's... In, uh... Explicit rating, yes, yeah, someone's told me that too. Yeah. But we have to have the explicit rating in there because... we say fuck a bit. Excuse you. <laughs> also, uh, up yours, we can say it now, up yours ABC, Radio National, for um, for starting a politics podcast. I mean, God, what are you doing? Yeah, Patricia Carvellis, who do you think you are? Who? Fran Kelly. I mean, who? who? Who's Fran Kelly? Goodness gracious. I yeah, mean, I think is the who, real reason that we've we've, we've done another podcast because they've started one and, yeah, we, and exactly. we want to reclaim who our space. I think they bloody are, <laughs> you know. We're the number one politics podcast in this country, not you, not Michelle Gratton down the hall. Well, it's Michelle Gratton down the hall before it's you two. Fair income. Yeah, get back in your box. Yeah. In the bin. Back in the box, um, in the bin. So into yeah, the sea. So thanks for listening and great news, Rob. Mm-hmm. We're going to be back really soon with a budget preview yep. episode okay. in which we will be talking to Ooh, uh, one, uh, of the one of the key decision makers. One of the fiscal foxes of who the Who is in the room, in the room, in the, in room. the Razor in the gang. ERC. <laughs> so keep your podcast app that you use refreshing. Yeah, exactly. Or listen on SoundCloud. Like you, <laughs> Scott and Stephen. <laughs> Good night. Bye bye. Hello, bye. The Great Silent Majority. Authorised B. Morton, Liberal Party, WA Division, Perth. Well, I mean, there's two things two I, I love is Admona tomatoes, especially Admona tomatoes, and Pyrex, really. I, I love Pyrex. <laughs>